How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now let's get started. Welcome back to Life's Key 3. I'm Stephanie Smith, and if you haven't already, make certain that you hop on over to the website stephaniepresents.com, and you can check out resources there, including speaking engagements that I offer, and sign up for Highlights, a weekly newsletter. I promise I do not like spam if it comes in a can, and I am not going to send that into your inbox. This year, we are working through significant passages of Scripture, and today we are going to be looking at one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible, and that is in the Gospel of John. You know, sometimes when we are very familiar with a passage of Scripture, it's easy to think that, oh yeah, we've heard that story a thousand times, we know all about that. But I want to invite you to stay tuned and to see, hey, maybe there's a little something new here. Because there's always something fresh and insightful that we, can, that we can learn whenever we come to God's Word. So, what is this famous story? Well, it's often called Jesus and the Woman at the Well. And if you've been a Christian very long, or even if you're not a Christian and you've sat in church or you've been around Christian teaching very long, then one of the things that you're going to know is uh, one of the often taught elements of this story is how amazing it was that Jesus even embraces a conversation with this woman. And that is absolutely true. It was amazing. I'm going to touch on that, but that is not going to be what I focus on today. I'm going to dig into that a little bit more and hopefully give us some application that we can have in our everyday lives. Yes, it is true. Women were what they have been throughout most of history in most places around the world. They were second-class citizens at best. Now, I don't care where you fall on the scale of women in terms of liberation or femininity or any of that kind of thing. If you are a rational thinking person and you are at all knowledgeable about human history, you know it is a fact that women have been the most abused, belittled, undermined, mistreated gender that exists. And yes, I do believe there are two genders, male and female, just like God said three different times in the first couple of chapters of Genesis. Why is that? Well, part of that is obviously because of the curse of sin. And we do not have to throw men under the bus in order to say women need to be treated with dignity and respect. And we're seeing that happen a lot here in the United States, and that is never going to turn out well for anybody. The reality is that men and women have both been designed and created in the image of God who are called and designed and desired by God, and both need to be treated with dignity and respect. Not only is it astounding that Jesus engages in a conversation with this woman, 
It is also amazing that he engages in a conversation with her because of who she was in terms of her ethnicity. She's a Samaritan. She's a half-breed. I know we don't use that term very much anymore, and I'm not suggesting that we should. But that's what they culturally that people would have said at that time, that she was a, a part of the Jews who had chosen to intermarry with Gentiles. And this was very looked down upon and, and not just like, oh, well, that's just kind of not preferred. It was like, no, no, no. That means that you are traitors to your race. And as God's chosen people, you have not just betrayed your race, but you are betraying, but you are betraying God. And so Jews who were, were not part of Samaria looked on the Samaritans as dogs. I mean, they looked on them as if they weren't even really worth anything more than being treated like an animal. So I wonder today, who is it in your life that you personally or perhaps in your community or your people group would be looked upon as being dogs, would looked upon would be looked upon as people who would not be people that you should have an association with. You see, it's all well and fine to think about the the right answer to that would be, oh, I don't have anybody like that in my life. But really, what if there's a certain person or group of people who would decide to move in next door to you? What if you have a a new coworker who is totally stands against everything that you believe in politically, religiously, um, with, with your, in, in any of those things that have meaning and value to you. We don't want to make the, mistake when, make the mistake when we study the Bible that we so remove ourselves from the application of this that, that we don't make it have actual truth in our lives and meaning in our lives. And so we don't want to just go, oh yeah, Jesus was, you know, talking to this woman from Samaria and that just wasn't, you know, acceptable in those days. We need to think in terms of, okay, if we're going to apply that today, who would we put in that position of being the woman at the well? Would it be a woman who was a prostitute? Would it be a man who was a prostitute? Who would have to be in that position for you to want to get up and run away from that well? You see, Jesus can't engage with this woman, not just because he's Jesus and the Son of God, he can engage with this woman because he knows who he is. He has a sound and sure identity, and he's not threatened by having a conversation with her. Sometimes the reality is that we can avoid having conversations with people because we don't really have a clear sense of who we are and what we are responsible for. We're not responsible for the outcomes of anybody else's choices. But that doesn't remove from us the responsibility to engage in dialogue and communication with other people. So let's look at this this engagement that Jesus has with this woman at the well. Now, first of all, she has come to the well to draw water. And at the very same time that she's coming to the well to draw water by herself, Jesus' disciples have all gone off into the city where she lives to get food because they're all hungry. So they're going to go off food shopping and Jesus decides he's going to stay 
by this well. So this woman comes out by herself. Now, this is important to understand because she was a social reject. She isn't coming with another friend. She's not coming with a group of women. She's coming by herself because she is an outcast in her town. She's probably incredibly lonely. She is not part of the popular crowd. She's not part of the in crowd. She is by herself because she's an outcast. Have you ever felt like an outcast? I have to say growing up, I was pretty much felt like an outcast. I mean, I never really had a place to fit in. And so I can kind of relate to this woman in in some respects. And so she's coming out to draw water, which was a hard, thankless task. And it required a lot of physical exertion to go out there. It wasn't like she went out there with a 32-ounce water bottle. I mean, she goes out there with at least one very large, heavy jug. And she's going to fill it out of this well. And then she's going to have to lug it back in town. I can also relate a little bit to that because I grew up on a farm and I have carried plenty of five-gallon buckets filled with water to carry out to water trees or pour into troughs for animals to drink and even five gallons of uh, milk from a milk cow to be able to carry into the house and strain off the cream and the, and, and the, the dirt that would fall in the milk and all that kind of stuff. So I've got some experience carrying five-gallon buckets, and I can kind of relate to this woman here as well. So we didn't know if she had to come out every day or she had to come out every couple of days, but this is she's just going about her ordinary day. You know, you never know when you are going to encounter Jesus and an extraordinary situation just as you are going about the ordinary tasks of life. And so when she comes out, she's probably pretty wary as she's getting closer to the well. And first of all, there's a man, okay? She's far enough away from the city that she had to have been concerned about her safety. And yet she's got to have water, so what's she going to do? And so there's a man by himself, which is a little bizarre, that he's just sitting out by himself in in the well, and she's got to have water. And so her alarms are probably going off a little bit. But she goes ahead, she goes to the well, And she can see that he is a Jew. And she is probably anticipating that she's going to be spat upon, that she's going to hear verbal abuse, that maybe he's going to kick sand at her. She probably goes on to this expecting that she is going to be, if not physically attacked in some way, that she is at least going to be verbally assaulted. And yet on she goes, but she gets a surprise. Jesus says to her, give me a drink. Now, I don't think he said to her, woman, give me a drink. All right. That's probably what she would have expected at best, but he doesn't say it to her like that. It's a request. It's, it's not a demand. It's a polite request. And she's shocked by this. He's going to take a drink from her, a woman, a Samaritan. This man is willing to put his, his mouth on a jug and to drink from her jug of water? And she's shocked. And she responds and she says, you, you're a Jew. Why would you accept a drink of water from me? Sometimes the way that we can 
engage in a dialogue and open someone's heart is not just to make an offer to them. Sometimes we can make a request of them because even requests can show that we have respect for them, that we value them and what they have to offer. And Jesus responds to her and he says, you know, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask him, you would ask me for living water. And she sounds like, hey, I think this sounds like a pretty good idea. But she's also confused because there's only one well here and he doesn't have anything to be able to put any water in. So where's this living water well that he's referring to? Because she'd sure like to know about this. And if he could just point her in that direction, thank you very much. She should go, she could go fill up her jug with this living water, this, this magic water. And then she would never have to come out and to do this dirty kind of chore again. But of course, Jesus isn't talking about literal water. He's talking about light. And then Jesus says something to her that probably very much startled her. And Jesus says to her, go get your husband and come back. And all of a sudden, the lights go on and and the defenses go up. And she says, I have no husband. And then Jesus says something that shakes her to her core. He says, you know what? You're right. I mean, you're being honest here. You don't have a husband. But I'm going to tell you something. You've actually had five husbands. And the one that you're now living with, the man that you're now living with, you're not even married to him. He's not even your husband. And this woman has got to be thinking, okay, who is this man? How in the world does he know this? I've never met him before. I've never seen him before. What's going on here? What is this? Can you imagine how her mind must have been racing with thoughts and questions and concerns? And so what she blurts out is, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Oh, wow. Bingo. Lightning flash. Uh, Yeah think so? I mean, this guy has just told you personal information about yourself that the only way that he could have known was that God revealed that to him. And so she says, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she immediately kicks in to distraction mode. And what she begins talking about is a theological issue. You see, the Samaritans and the Jews had this big debate going on about where was the proper place to worship. Was it over here on this mountain or was it in Jerusalem? And so she just defaults to a common theological argument because she's got to distract from what he's just said to her. Now, I don't, again, I want to be careful here to not make the, um, to not have the equivalency of what my my imagination might tell me and what scripture actually tells us. So I don't know, of course, what is going on in this woman's mind and her heart. I can just think of myself in that situation. And I can think of that. Yeah, I'd probably be thinking about something and just blurting things out that would pop into my mind in the moment because somebody, if somebody would have said something that would have really touched a deep raw nerve for me, uh, let's get out of this topic really quick and let's see what else can we talk about. Have you ever been in one of the situations, maybe you're in a family dinner and it's one of those extended family dinners, or maybe you're in a conversation with colleagues or whatever, and the topic turns to something and you know immediately, oh no, this is going to stir up trouble. 
And so you interjects to say something so that you can redirect the conversation in a hurry. Well, I think that's what she is doing here. But Jesus is kind and gracious. And instead of saying, instead of calling her out on that, and instead of saying, hey, look, I know what you're doing. You are playing the distraction game here. You don't want to talk about what's going on with you personally. So instead, you're going to turn the conversation to be about what's going on on a, on a, a political uh political slash religious girl. Um, let's move away from talking about you to let's talk about an issue. Have you ever noticed that people who like to focus a lot on talking about issues, but they don't want to talk about themselves are sometimes the people who have the biggest issues with themselves or people who are struggling with them personally? Yes, we need to talk about issues. Yes, we need to engage in and conversations about things that have an impact in our lives and in our world and in the lives of other people, whether that's political, economic, whether that's theological and all of those things. But when we use issues, whether they're political, economic, spiritual, as a way to hide from what we, is going on in our own lives, then we're not in alignment with who God has called us to be. But Jesus doesn't push the woman. He said, okay, I'll engage with the theological um, issue that you brought up here. And so he does in a very gentle way. He answers the, the, um, the theological debate and he gives it clarity. And he doesn't say, okay, well, you all have it wrong because the right place to worship is in Jerusalem. What he focuses on is not the where, but the who and the why, because that is what really matters. Now, the where mattered in terms of if it was in obedience to God. So if God said, hey, this is the geographical place where you're supposed to come and offer your sacrifices, well, then the where mattered. But it became too much about the where and not about the who and not about the why. And so Jesus focuses on what's really important here, which is about worshiping God and worshiping from a right heart. God doesn't call us to worship just out of some rote kind of behavior. He wants us to worship from our spirit and with truth, with alignment, with integrity, that it's not just something we are doing externally, but it comes from the integrity of what we really believe and who we really are and how we're actually living our lives. And so the woman responds to this, again, by, by responding with a theological statement. And she says, I know that when Messiah comes, the, the one who's going to be called Christ, that he's going to tell us everything. Okay, So I know that I've got this all figured out. When Jesus, well, not Jesus, when the Messiah comes, then he's going to sort all these issues out for us and he's going to make it all clear. So she was right and she was not right. She was right in the sense that when Messiah came, he was going to speak truth. But that didn't necessarily mean that he was going to speak it in the way that they were framing the issues. So she's got a theology here that's part right and part wrong. But Jesus responds to her and he says, hey, the one who's talking to you right now, I am he. 
That is a profound statement. What he was saying to her was, I'm Christ. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that you're looking for. And then just at that exact moment is when the disciples show back up with their food. And that creates for her an exit point. Now, what follows is extraordinary. She leaves her water jar. She is so touched by Jesus' words that she forgets what she's even there for. She doesn't want anything to impede her on her way back to tell other people about Jesus. She leaves her water jar. What are the water jars in your life that you might need to leave behind in order to tell other people about Christ? And then get this. She doesn't go in and say, hey guys, I've got somebody who's going to sort out all of our theological issues. Y'all have got to come and hear this guy. No, 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 no. That question and that statement that Jesus had said to her about you have five, you've had five husbands and the man that you're now living with, you're not even married to, that is what penetrated her heart. She does not run back into the village and say, come hear a man who has told me where we need to worship. She does not say, come hear a man who can answer all of your theological issues. No, no, no. Here's what she says. Come see a man who has told me all that I've ever done. Why would she say that? Why would that be her response? You know why? Because he's, he'd said to her, I know your history. I know what you're ashamed of. I know why you've been ostracized. And I want you to know that I know it. But you know what? I am not here to condemn you. And that was astounding to her. Maybe the first time in her life she'd ever had somebody respond that way. This woman was culturally at the lowest of the low. She's a woman. She's a Samaritan. She's had a strain of marriages that have ended, whether they ended through death or divorce or a combination of those. And now she is so bad off that she's living with a man that she's not even married to. Now, today in in our culture, it would be like, well, what's the big deal if you're living with somebody that you're not married to? But it wasn't too long in our past that that was known as shacking up. And that was looked down on and that was recognized for what it is, which was um, against how God has said that life is supposed to be. And so this woman was at the lowest of the low. And yet when she goes back in and she says, come here, a man who's told me all that I've ever done. And then the crowds come up. Now, I wonder why the crowds come up. I have to think that maybe some people came because they were like, okay, this is kind of like, we're going to hear all the juicy details. We're going to go out and this guy is going to spill the beans and we're going to get to know all the details of what has gone on in this woman's life. There's probably some people that were motivated by that. Other people were probably motivated for other reasons. They might have been intrigued. They might have thought, okay, we know enough about you to know that you've got a pretty raunchy history. And so if you're coming back in here excited 
because somebody knows your raunchy history, okay, we got to go meet somebody who's going to have you coming back in excited about that rather than crawling into the village with your water jug with shame and guilt and wanting to just get back home and to get away from this guy. And so the people come out to hear Jesus and they come out and then here's what they say. Jesus, would you stay with us? Sometimes to get what we want from Jesus, we have to make a request. And so Jesus stays and he stays there for two days. Now I have to wonder what was going on with the disciples here. They are not big fans of being in Samaria. They are not fans of associating with this group of people. And yet, Jesus stays there for two days, and he speaks to the people. And as a result of that, many, many people came to believe in him. Why? Because one woman left what was going to impede her from getting as quickly as she could to tell other people about the kindness and grace and mercy of God. And then the townspeople say to her, you know what? We came to listen to him because of what you said, but now because we've heard him for ourselves, we believe now on the basis of what we have heard for ourselves. This story is just packed with so much application that we can have in our own lives to treat every person with dignity and respect, no matter who they are, no matter what they've come from, no matter what their history. It is to be respectful with people and and to engage with them as it's appropriate, even when they are using tactics to, to move away from dealing with the issues that they really need to be dealing with in our lives because that becomes a way to stay engaged with them. And then there's going to be that opportunity when what's really going to impact them is when we know the worst and we still treat them with kindness and we still extend that invitation to come to believe in Christ. All right, my friend, I hope that as we are going through these passages of Scripture that You are building up and investing in your own heart and in the lives of your family, the word of God, because there is nothing that is more valuable and life-shaping than truth, and that is found in the scriptures. If you haven't already, make sure if you're listening to this as a podcast that you hit subscribe, leave a rating and a review. That helps other people to be able to find this podcast and to have truth in their life as well. If you are watching, then make sure that you hop on over to stephaniepresents.com. You can subscribe to the channel as well. Check out resources that are available there, including speaking engagements that I offer. Make sure, if you haven't already, sign up for the weekly newsletter highlights. And remember this, my friend, you have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.